but on September 10th and September 17th, we'll have the opportunity after each service for you to go out into the lobby, and you'll be able to talk with people of all the different ministries and all the different classes, be able to sign up, ask questions, get resources, all of that. So we're excited about that, and, and we're looking forward to you being able to understand more what we'll have for you in the fall. Um, as many of you know, we've had some tremendous growth at Uniontown in the last eight or nine months, which is absolutely amazing. Um, but with growth comes some new complexities or challenges, and uh, I wanted to specifically ask you today to prayerfully consider helping us in one of two ways. Um, the first one is, let me talk to you about community groups. Um, community groups, we are in need of some people to specifically lead or facilitate a community group. Um, right now, currently, there are already, and this is without the signups, there are already 54 people waiting to be in a community group, which is an absolutely wonderful problem to have. At the same time, we need to create these opportunities for people to be in these groups, um, specifically so that they can grow deeper relationally and, um, and biblically and with other believers in discipleship. Uh, very specific, um, I just wanted to challenge you to maybe think about being a facilitator of that. Let me remove some of the barriers that have been there in the past that you might be thinking about facilitating a group. Um, we have an abundance of studies and videos and right now media and study guides and talking points. Um, that's why we call it facilitating. You don't have to specifically come up with the study and teach the study or come up with the outlines. We have resources to help you do that. You don't have to be a member to facilitate a group, but you do have to agree to our statement of faith and sign our covenant in order to do that. And uh, you don't have to meet at a certain time. As the facilitator, you get to come up with what time works best for you and your group. In fact, if you only want to meet once a month, we would much rather you have, have you do that than not meet at all. Um, very specific. And then also, um, lastly, here we go. If you don't have a place to meet, the church is open for you to be meeting here. Or maybe we can hook you up with another couple or another group that uh, might host you in a different location. Along with this... Uh, is children's ministry. And children's ministry on Sunday mornings, um, we're welcoming new families every week. In fact, if you have taken your child to nursery in the last couple weeks, you've noticed just a huge spike in people and all of the different things that are going on. So um, Jen is really working on taking our children's ministry into more of a smaller group setting as well. And so with that comes some needs there too. We, we're looking for 12 people to join our preschool and elementary team. 18 people to help in the nursery specifically, and some more people to help on Wednesday nights for our teen kid program. Um, we would both love to talk to you about that, and after the service, we'll be out uh, by the connections area if you have uh, any questions about that. Let me just say this. As um, a pastor, as an executive pastor, as Frank, as a senior pastor, we never, ever want to say to somebody who wants to grow deeper with Jesus, I'm sorry, but we don't have space for you. And, um, and so I'm just, as a congregation, I'm just asking you to really consider, pray, think about how you could come alongside and maybe facilitate or help teach in our, in our children's ministry or facilitate a community group 
so that we can put more people into smaller groups and relationships and growing with Jesus. Amen. That's right. Great. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Take your Bibles. Go to the book of Malachi with me if you don't mind. As you're turning there, um, I'm going to do something just a little bit different. Um, today is the, the day to collect the um, backpacks for our annual school supply drive and backpack drive. And, and I just want to thank you again for your willingness to jump in. This, this right here is just a visible repre- representation of the opportunity that God has given us with our local schools. And so uh, in the next couple of weeks, all this stuff will be divided up and the kids will be able to go through and, and with some manner of dignity, pick their own backpack, pick their own school supplies. It's actually kind of a rush to be a part of. It's fun to watch. But Uniontown, you, you're a part of that. So I want to thank you. Um, I'll also, this morning, before we um, move any further, and although most of our children aren't even in this room, I want to take just a moment or two and pray for our young people as they get ready to start school. So I'm going to invite any of you who are school age, whether that goes into kindergarten or you're starting your senior year, whatever falls in between there, whether it's homeschool, private school, public school, I don't know if there's another version. If there is, I should have taken that for sure, and I didn't. Um, I'm going to ask that you stand, and moms and dads, would you join me as I pray for these young people as they start their school year? So why don't you go ahead and stand up, stand up. I promise we won't make you dance or anything. That was first service. You're okay. All right, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for these people. Thank you for... Um, the, the fact that they are here, thank you for the opportunity that lies before them in the next weeks and months. I pray as they begin their school year that they would get settled quickly, that they would find the right classes, that they would have the right books, that they would just get into a rhythm and a routine. Father, I ask that you would watch over these young people, whether they're going into kindergarten or 12th grade, whatever might happen. Father, I pray as they head into their school year that they would sense your presence with them. I pray that you would fill them with confidence, fill them with courage, fill them with boldness. Fill them with the understanding and appreciation of who they are in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would protect each and every one of these young people from bullying. I pray, Father, you'd protect them from the influences of the world around us, that, that, Father, instead what they would find is people who rally around them to support them, to encourage them, and to, to, to push them along in their walk with Jesus Christ. I pray for moms and dads. I know the beginning of a school year brings lots of different feelings, and so whatever those feelings might be this year, I pray that you would give great grace, mercy, and confidence to even mom and dad. So this year we pray that it would be an amazing school year for these young people. And we commit them into your capable hands. It's the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for standing up and not making me look like stupid. Okay, I appreciate that. Cool. All right, Malachi. I'm going to look stupid different ways. Don't worry. The morning is young. Um, Malachi. Chapter 2, I'm going to tell you right now, for whatever reason, in first service, I continued to call it Malachi chapter 3. Um, a couple of people told me that, and I, look, I do not have that in my notes, which means that's lodged in my head somewhere, so chances are good I'm going to say something about Malachi 3. If I do, come back next week, we'll be in Malachi 3. This week, it's Malachi 2. Malachi chapter 2 uh, this week. If you are um, just joining us this week for the first time in the series of Malachi, let me just do a very brief recap for you. It starts like this. God speaks to his people and he says to them, hey, 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 I know your situation stinks. I have loved you. And that's what I want you to remember. I want you to remember that no matter what you see when you look around, no matter how frustrated or disappointed you may find yourself being, what I want you to do is I want you to stop just for a moment and consider this. Before you had any ability to earn anything, I chose to love you. 
So you did nothing to earn my love? That means you can't do anything to unearn my love. I've loved you. And if you're a guest with us this morning and that sounds crazy to you, let me tell you, look at the cross. That's the picture of God's love for you. The picture of God's love for you is this. Jesus Christ came because you're a sinner. And in your sin, you are separated from God. You can't do anything about that separation from God. You you can't build enough good deeds to to make God and you good and build a relationship. It's going to fail every time. The only way you can get into God's presence with his favor upon you is because Jesus Christ came and he willingly laid down his life on the cross, shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins, and it didn't end just there. Three days later, he took his life back up and rose again from the dead, bringing your justification so now you can stand with boldness and confidence before the Father's throne. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, know this, that's the most important thing I'm gonna say all morning. You need to know Christ. And so God says to the people of Malachi, you know, I have loved you and I want you to understand that. But then last week as we talked to the, the rest of chapter one, he said, you know, I, I, I'm appalled at the fact that, that you have grown bored with worship. Your life is supposed to be a physical and visible representation of your fear and respect and awe of me. And what I am seeing is that you have none of that. You are just blah. This is so boring. I can't believe I have to do this. Why do you make me do this? Why do I need to come here? Why do I have to give this? I got an idea. Let me give this instead. It doesn't cost me anything. And the reason behind that is this. People thought too highly of themselves and they didn't think highly enough of God. And so last week we were challenged in that way. I will admit at the onset, and you will notice this if you haven't already, uh, the last couple of weeks have been, I don't know, I don't know the official term for the two messages. Um, I'll use a Frankism. They were a little spicy. I don't know if you noticed that, a little spicy. Um, I do have a tendency to run on the red line of things when the engine gets going. And so in the middle of last week at some point, I murdered my throat. I have no idea what I did. And so this week, I don't have the oomph that I normally have. That's God's gift to you. Um, <laughs> actually, it's God's gift to my wife, to be honest with you. But um, so, so this morning, and actually, this is funny as I considered this. Like, so every time you want a tone that matches the message, right? I mean, it's kind of weird to look at your kid and be like, two plus two equals four. It's like, we could just say two plus two equals four. They might listen then. Um, I think this morning, my tone, because of my throat and because of the message, is, is way more dialed down. So um, I say that for two reasons. One, so you're not like, is he quieter? I can't wait. Uh, yes. And number two, don't get used to it, okay? So there you go. Um, all right, before I read the text, give you a quick Bible study tip. I spent thousands of dollars to get my master's degree to tell you this one thing. You ready? So we read the text this morning, verses 10 through 16 of chapter 2. Got it right the first time. There we go. Uh, what you're going to find is that a word is repeated over and over again. And I'll tell you, if you want to know the point of a passage, if it gets repeated, that's the point. Thousands of dollars right there. There you go. All right, verse 10. Malachi chapter 2, verse 10 says this. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create us? Why then do we act treacherously against one another, profaning the covenant of our ancestors? See, Judah has acted treacherously, and a detestable act has been done in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary, which he loves, and he has married the daughter of a foreign God. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. And this is another thing you do. 
You're covering the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and with groaning because he no longer respects your offerings or receives them gladly from your hands. And you ask, why? Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have acted treacherously against her. She was your marriage partner, your wife by covenant. Didn't God make them one and give them a portion of spirit? What is the one seeking? Godly offspring. So watch yourselves carefully so that no one acts treacherously against the wife of his youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. So the version of scripture that I just read from is the Christian Standard Bible. The Christian Standard Bible translates this word uh, repeatedly, more than six times here, um, acted treacherously. And, and I think we definitely need to understand what that means in order to get the feel and the understanding of what God's communicating to his people. It says acted treacherously here in the CSB. Other versions translate it as breaking faith or been faithless. Or one actually says to betray one another. The idea is there is a covenant promise that has been made and somebody has gone back on their promise. Somebody has acted in poor faith and has not fulfilled their own promise to somebody else. And here in Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, um, the people are, are being marked by this type of betrayal, by being unfaithful in, in three different types of relationships. And so that's what I want to look at this morning. And they're, they're very different from each other, very similar to each other. Um, three very different applications to be made, but all three of them not only deal with uh, breaking faith with one another, but they also come with a warning because there's another phrase that's repeated in this passage. And it's repeated at the very end of verse 16. Watch yourselves carefully. And so that's what I want to keep in front of us throughout the morning. The challenge of the scripture this morning is this. Watch yourself carefully. It's the message for every single one of us. Do not let your guard down. That's what God's saying to the, the people of Malachi. So what are the three different relationships that um, God is dealing with here? Well, it's, the first one starts in verse 10. He says, what I want you to do is watch yourself carefully. Watch your family relationships. Watch your family relationships. Now, he's not talking about your siblings. He's not talking about your brothers or your sisters, your mother, your father. He's not talking about your aunts and your uncles, your nieces, nephews, cousins, third cousins. He's not talking about your grandparents. He's not talking about that type of family. He's talking about your covenant family here in verse 10. It starts with this. Don't all of us have one father? Didn't one God create all of us? Just one aside. That's not God saying, see, everybody is my child. No, no, you're God's child if you come to faith in Jesus Christ and you're reconciled to God through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's what this is talking about, an extension of that Abrahamic covenant to this place now where these people have come to Christ and now, now, now that you have this relationship. It's a familial relationship. We're told in Scripture many times how you treat your siblings is going to reflect how you love your father. Okay, so one of the clearest statements in Scripture. From the mouth of Jesus Christ, nonetheless, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. And yet we hear that, and we can play the game in our head like, yeah, but you don't know them. They're Methodists. <laughs> I had to pick one group. 
And I went with that one because Methodists don't fight very often. I'm just kidding. Uh, so how do we do that? How do we hear the voice of Christ? And yet we, we noodle our way around to come up with an escape clause even in that. He says, when you're doing this, you're profaning the covenant of our ancestors. You are defiling the covenant. You are disgracing that covenant. You are violating that covenant. What covenant is he talking about? He's talking about God's promise, an extension of God's promise to Abraham and to be Abraham's God, to work for him, to, to bless him, and to, to give him life and to give him hope. And, and what was going to be seen is that other nations would be blessed through Abraham. So in other words, what he's saying is if I, if I pull up short or if you pull up short of the responsibilities that God has given you towards other people, you are falling short of what God has designed for you, for us, for his church. Scripture is very clear how we are to behave towards one another. Scripture is very clear about the commitment that we are supposed to have towards one another. So I do this with great fear and trepidation, but I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to pretend like there's only 12 of us in the room, and we're just talking. So I'm going to ask you a question, and they're like, what do you think? And you're going to give me your answers. And if you give me anything awkward or wrong, I will just casually ignore it and pretend like I didn't hear you but no pressure. In the New Testament, God has given us and it's, it, it's a number of commands of how we are supposed to relate with each other. What, are, what, what is one that comes to mind for you? How are we supposed to treat one another as believers? Please, go right ahead. Love. Grace. Say it again. Treat them as ourselves. Love like you love yourself. Forgive. Respect. Kindness. Amen, brother. Let me, let, me, let me run this through real quick for you. Ready? There are 59 commands in the New Testament that include the phrase one another. This is the command towards the believers in Jesus Christ. This is how you're supposed to treat one another. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Build up. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish. Greet one another. Care for one another. Serve. Bear one another's burdens. Forgive one another. Be patient with. Speak the truth in love to. Be kind and compassionate with one another. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort. Encourage. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good work. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given you for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. You think God has anything to say about how we're supposed to treat each other? This is interesting. I got, I got two things I want to point out to you. This one, these ones are marked a specific color, red, in this list. Okay, you ready? Honor, live in harmony with, accept, forgive one another, be patient with one another, be kind and compassionate towards one another, bear with one another. Makes it kind of sound like we're a difficult group of people to hang out with, aren't we? And then there's this one, which is pretty appropriate for the day. Teach, encourage, exhort, show hospitality. Use the gifts that God has given you for the benefit of one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults towards one another. You want to know two amazing opportunities to employ those one another strategies in the lives and the hearts of your brothers and sisters in Christ? First, you should be in a community group. Every single one of us should be. You should be leading a community group. But that is so difficult. Nah, I mean, it is. We got you. We have promised. We're not going to be like, sign them up. Sign them up. All right, good. You go to the lobby. You signed up. Cool. 
got one. Sorry, you can never get out of it. That's number one. And number two, we expect you to teach on a master's level. No. We expect you to encourage one another, exhort one another, stir up one another, show hospitality towards one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, submit to one another. That's what we expect. You know another opportunity? Working in our children's ministry. I am grateful. I, and Mark said this. It's been crazy to watch the last eight or nine months around here. It's insane. Um, we're in August. Things tend to get busy at church. I know none of you are like, really? Yeah, the church world's just weird, just be honest. And you know the highest attended church service outside of Easter and Christmas? Mother's Day. You know why, right? Don't say it, kids. Don't look at mom. Don't do it. You know what the lowest attended service is during the year? Father's Day. Yep, just saying. Don't say it. Dad, just look straight at me. I got you, I promise, okay? <laughs> um, but it is an incredible blessing and hilarious at times to walk down the hallway and look in the rooms and see how many kids are in there and to see um, how all those teachers, their hairstyle is going to look a lot like mine soon if we don't get them support. So it's kind of cool. Now, we, I appreciate, especially those of you who are new to us, thank you for your patience um, as, we try to, as we try to roll with it. Um, I, I mean, I guess one piece of advice is, I mean, I don't ever, but the baby section is huge. Um, our nursery section, so, you know, stop having babies. There you go, that's one way to fix it. Or, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Uh, or, or, or volunteer, that'd be cool. Um, but God's doing some great things, so there's a very easy application to this. Here's the crazy part. As you consider how you should serve your church family, stop making it so complicated. Community group, children's ministry. It's not that tough. And God will bless you. And I should stop because I'm not on my notes even a little. <laughs> All right. Let's get a little more serious. Verse 11. Verse 11. Judah has acted treacherously or broken faith. This detestable act has happened in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has profaned the Lord's sanctuary. He has married the daughter of of a foreign God. Not just be careful with your church family as you watch yourself carefully. Be careful with your heart. Be careful with your heart. Many of the children of Israel were taking for themselves brides who worshipped false idols. So in the language that's used here, to marry the daughter of a foreign god is to take that god as your own. And so here, the children of God were marrying people outside of the covenant. They were marrying unbelievers. What happened in the nation of his, uh, Israel, it's the same thing that can happen, and we can take the lessons for today. When you marry outside of the covenant, when you marry unbelievers, it leads to instability in the relationship. It leads to chaos. It leads to confusion. It leads to some brokenness. So I'm just going to jump right to application for time's sake. I'm going to talk directly to you singles. Do not view your current singleness as a problem to be solved. It's a season to be enjoyed. It's an opportunity to take advantage of. So there are some, and I will not name them, but there are some who have taught that a single Christian is an incomplete Christian. 
Um, that would be really difficult to reconcile with 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, man, I hope that you stay single like I am. My desire for you is that you stay single because it is so very good. Because when you're married, you spend all this time trying to make sure that you're loving your spouse in the way that God wants you to love your spouse. When you're single, you can serve God in a number of different areas that you're not able to if you're actually married. So, so Paul did not say you were an incomplete Christian if you weren't a married Christian. You're not a partial Christian if you're single. You're not incomplete. 1 Corinthians 7, a wonderful passage where Paul unpacks this whole idea and he says to them, listen, are you single? And, and there's a, a remnant in Corinth They'll be like, yes, and that's the biggest problem ever. And he says, you're single. Cool, cool. Who cares? Serve Christ with your singleness. And, and then he says, are you married? Who cares? Serve Christ in your marriage. The point isn't your marital status. The point is what you're doing with your marital status. Are you serving Christ within that marital status? And here, here's where it comes down to. When, when singles grow discontent with their relationships, when singles start to look and be like, listen, I... I, I, I don't want to be single anymore. I want to be married. They begin to do the mental gymnastics to, to, to bring themselves proof texts or, or understanding. Like, well, you know, if I just do this, it's just going to be okay. I can just, and what happens is when marriage becomes the higher ideal, when marriage becomes the idol in your life over where God is and who God is, you're just asking for trouble. How serious does God take this? I'm just going to go straight to Malachi. I'm not going to jump to the New Testament. I'm just going to go with what he says right here. Verse 12. Those who married outside the covenant. Those who married unbelievers. He says this. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob, the man who does this, whoever he may be, even if he presents an offering to the Lord of armies. You almost get the picture that this person's like, I'm just going to go to church more if I marry an unbeliever because that'll just kind of balance everything out, right? And God says, no, there will forever be this, this rupture in our relationship no matter what you bring to me. So... Guard your hearts. Watch yourself carefully. Obviously, some of you here are married to spouses who don't believe in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying, and this doesn't say, that it's impossible for an unbelieving spouse to become converted. First Peter 3 talks about that. Some spouses may be won over without a word even being shared because the way the the, the spouse lives. They'll see the truth about who God is and how God loves them through um, their spouse. So I'm not saying that it's impossible for an unbelieving spouse to be converted. It's also not saying that if you are married to an unbeliever, you should get out of your marriage. It's not what this says at all. Again, 1 Corinthians 7 says, hey, for all you know, um, your, your, you, through your life, your spouse may come to Christ. So, so I guess the application for this is if the choice of a marriage partner is still in front of you, guard your heart from trying to solve your seasonal discomfort with a chronically bad choice. If it's a choice that's been made in the past, serve Christ in your marriage. Love God most so that you're able to love your spouse best. Okay? That brings us to the big one, verses 13 through 16 here in the text. You need to watch yourself and be careful in your marriage. I want to be clear. as we, we, We're about to embark on a small discussion. Small discussion. Small discussion about divorce. There is no passage in the Bible that deals with all the details of marriage and divorce. There's, there's a lot of different passages that talk about parts of it, but there's no passage that deals with, with all of it. Because again, marriage is complex. 
and so is divorce. I want to say this at the beginning. Divorce is not an unforgivable sin. Okay, all, all sin is covered by the grace of God through the mercy of Jesus Christ. So this morning, if, you, if we walk through this and you feel guilt over past failures, be encouraged. If you have repented and asked God for forgiveness, then, then, then be comforted by the cross of Jesus Christ this morning. And I hope to land there when I'm done and, and, and kind of remind you of the faithfulness of God and make sure that you, I leave you with hope so you're not like laid bare open and walk out with fresh wounds. I don't want to do that to anybody this morning. Um, God says to them, I no longer respect your offerings. And they ask the question, why? Why? Look at verse 14, chapter 2. This is why. Because even though the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, you have broken faith against her. She was your marriage partner, your wife by covenant. It says, because you have broken faith with your spouse. God was the witness at your wedding. So, so what is that talking about? So this is used a couple of times in the Old Testament. Let me throw a couple of them up here in front of you. Genesis 31, Laban says to Jacob, listen, if you mistreat my daughters and you take any other wives, even though there's nobody standing here with us right now, understand that God will be a witness between you and me. So the way he lays it out, he's like, God's watching. So even if nobody else hears this covenant that we're about to make, you break this covenant, you deal with God. Because he's the witness in the situation. Used again in Judges, the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord is our witness if we don't do as you say. If we don't fulfill our end of the covenant, then God can, we're inviting God to act in this relationship, this covenant relationship, uh, as, as a witness. So, so we think about going to a wedding as, I don't know, attendees. Um, I've been invited, yay! But the language of modern wedding ceremonies includes the idea of as you attend a wedding, you're a witness. In fact, in the state's eye, which that's a whole can of worms I'm not even touching, <laughs> you are a legal witness to this binding ceremony that occurs. In fact, I end my, my, my um, wedding ceremonies, which as a singles pastor, um, uh, that was an occupational hazard. They tend to get married sometimes, so I had a lot of those. Um, but but uh, end my weddings with this, ready? For as much as he and she have consented to be husband and wife and have witnessed the same before God and this assembly, according to the laws of God in the great state of wherever, Maryland, I declare that they are now husband and wife. Kiss each other so we can have cake. I mean, that's, that's kind of how, how the ceremony ends, okay? So, so, so hear that. So actually, as a witness to a wedding ceremony, your responsibility is to engage that couple and to push them towards each other and towards God and to hold them accountable in their relationship. Now, if you're soon to get married, think about that before you invite me to your next wedding because I have an enforcer outfit I'd like to wear. <laughs> Just kidding. I think we do. We think about it. We're like, no, my job is to show up and, and stand at the right point in the ceremony and sit at the right point. Don't wear white, whatever you do. Ooh and ah, don't make an idiot of myself at the reception. Bring something bigger than a toaster. I mean, that's like the perfect wedding to go to. But in fact, we're supposed to be there encouraging this couple to keep what he calls a covenant. A promise that includes God. I want to I 
Jump to, to verse uh, 16. I'll put these up. There's two different versions here I'll put up here in front of you. The one that I read is the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. That's on top. And this is how it's translated. If he hates his wife and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel. He covers his garment with injustice, says the Lord of armies. That's the Christian Standard Bible. That's the one I read this morning. Um, other versions, including the New American Standard, which is below, it says this. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel, and him who covers his garment with wrong, says the Lord of hosts. So the difference between these two translations, and here's the hard part, Hebrew, crazy language. You can actually translate the Hebrew and come out with both of those with no problem, and it would work. It works contextually. It works linguistically. However, I believe, based on the immediate context and the development of the language behind the scenes in this, I think the proper and appropriate uh, translation of this verse is the second one. For I hate divorce, God says. The one that covers his garment with wrong. The idea is my actions, my activities, my choices to divorce the spouse of my youth is going to bring about violence and destruction and wrong in her life. And God says, I hate that. I hate that. Why does God hate divorce? He knows the pain that comes as a result. He knows the ripple effect that divorce has in the community around the couple. That can include children. But it goes further than just the children. See, get this. So, so God is faithful. A whole scripture teaches us that. God is so very faithful and kind to us. And God is so very good to us that, that he knows there are things that we can't quite capture in our three-pound brain. Just not there. And, and so oftentimes what he does for us is he paints a picture for us so that when we walk away, we're like, okay, that makes a little more sense. So you think, think Lord's Supper, think communion. I, I'm going to leave them a constant reminder, a visual representation of what it is, how much it costs when Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross for you. So here, here, take this, these elements, a piece of cracker and juice. And this is the picture of his broken body and this is the picture of his shed blood. And may this be a reminder to you of what it cost and an encouragement that he's going to return. Marriage is a picture that God has left for us to remind us of how faithful he is towards us. Throughout the Old Testament, it constantly refers to God as the husband and Israel as his wife. And you see the tension that exists as Israel wanders away. And you get to the book of Hosea where Hosea's wife, Gomer, wanders and leaves Hosea for another lover. It gets to the place where, where Gomer is with this, this other lover and is thanking this other lover for all the amazing things this other lover has given to, to Gomer. And Hosea makes the comment, I'm the one that gave those to her. And God says, exactly. That's what it feels like when you break my covenant with us. It's a picture of marriage images for us the very faithfulness of God as he pours it out on us. You get to Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul is working through this amazing picture of relationships between husbands and wives, and he, he just gets lost. He gets, it's, it's awesome. He's like, he gets lost. Like, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself forward. Wives submit to your husbands and respect your husbands. As, 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 and then he gets to the end, and he's like, and, and this is, whoa, what am I doing? I'm so sorry. I'm supposed to be talking about marriage. I've been talking about Christ the whole time because those pictures are so closely related Divorce is ruining the picture of faithfulness he's trying to paint to a watching world. That's why we're supposed to watch ourselves carefully. In your marriage, husbands, in your marriage, wives, don't even entertain 
the idea of divorce. My counseling has always been, and it will continue to be, don't even use the word divorce in your conversations. Do not threaten it. Do not even mention it. Okay. But what about, I mean, what if, okay, I know, totally know, but that's why I started this. There's no passage that talks about all of marriage and all of divorce. So I'm just trying to deal with this one right before us right now. There are in Scripture allowances for divorce. I would actually take it even a step further and say that there are reasons for divorce, biblical reasons. But our emphasis cannot be about when we would permit divorce. Our emphasis, our message needs to be that God hates divorce and that God has laid down a permanent institution in marriage. Can I, can I show you our incredible hypocrisy? You want to see conservative evangelicals, Bible-believing Christians, get worked up into a rather? Uh-oh, not a rather. That's Dan. He's a newscaster. How about a lather? We'll go with that. <laughs> see, when I st- talk slower, my brain just goes... <laughs> um, you want to see modern evangelical Christians get worked up into a, into a lather? Let's start talking about the biblical definition of marriage. Right? It's one man, it's one woman, yeah! And and yes, it is. And yes, we should staunchly stand there. And as a church, we do. Biblical definition of marriage is a relationship, a covenant relationship between one man and one woman. Yeah! yeah. And you know what will happen? It'll happen. You have somebody tinker with that part a little bit. Like if we messed with that in that bylaw revision we just did, whoo, this place would be hot. And rightly so, should be. How come we're not so angry when people treat marriage lightly and ignore the part of the biblical definition of marriage that not only is it a relationship between one man and one woman, but it is a permanent relationship? Hmm. Maybe. I'll just propose this. Maybe that just strikes too close to home. Never have to worry about that, though. But this, though, we just, just go, well, yeah, well, you know. Marriage is absolutely complex. It's an absolute minefield to talk about divorce. I need to be sensitive and gracious, and I, and I pray that you hear me being sensitive and gracious, and I pray that you'll hear it even by the time we get to the end. And while I want to be careful not to offend you needlessly, uh, our young people are growing up in a world where divorce is in the back of everybody's mind because that's the, the get-out-of-jail-free card. That's the get-out clause you know, if these things don't work out, well then, yeah, that's the fire escape. And that was never intended when you examine the biblical definition of marriage. So, repent. As you consider your marriage, repent. I want that to be clear. I, I don't want there to be any confusion beginning of chapter 2, the priests are being talked to by God. They're like, you just are causing people to stumble all over the place because you've ignored my truth. You stopped turning people away from iniquity. You've just kind of acquiesced because the culture has gone that way. You priests ought to be ashamed of yourself. And I'm here to tell you, I refuse to yield where God says this because I'm going to stand before him one day. 
repent. Uh, this, as God would have it, this actually is really funny to me. You guys won't think it's funny at all. Again, it's behind the scenes church stuff. As I'm doing my message, I get to verse 15. Right? I get to verse 15, and I read it, and I'm like, that didn't seem to make any sense. I must be, like, more coffee, that'll help it. So I get more coffee, and I read 15 again. I'm like, still don't make any sense. I'm weird. So, so what you do in that case, you start looking at other translations. I'm like, the other translations don't make any sense either. I know, I'm going to look up some commentators and some theologians and some people who are experts in the book of Malachi. Okay, so that way I can stand up here in front of you and be like, okay, this seems confusing. Let me explain it to you, right? So uh, one such expert, let me, let me read to you the quote from J.M.P. Smith. He started in chapter 3, verse 15, and he said, the beginning of chapter 3, verse 15, in the Hebrew text, this is a Hebrew theologian, scholar, expert. The beginning of this verse in the Hebrew text is hopelessly obscure. Amen? Amen. All right. Then there's this other theologian who I never heard of, but has spent hours upon hours, did their PhD um, 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 thesis on the book of Malachi, and, and actually included a translation of the book of Malachi in their, their presentation, their dissertation. Cruz uh, uh, Blinkenberg uh, says this, when I get to verse 15, this is what I believe the best solution to translate the verses. Put some dots instead of a translation and make a note, unintelligible. So as a guy who's studying, you're like, well, this ought to go well. I um, wonder if anybody will notice if I don't even read it. <laughs> and as God would have it, I, I think the takeaway, you can see in verse 15 a little bit. Let me, let me read to you. I am not an expert. These guys are way more experts, so I'm sure I messed this up. But as I worked really hard this week on this, let me give you my translation of verse 15. It says this, don't, don't, don't you know that God has made you one with your spouse? And in spite of the fact that you have broken faith by divorcing your spouse, there's still a piece of that spiritual bond between the two of you. And why? What is the nature and the purpose of that spiritual bond? It's to see a godly seed be produced from your marriage. Let me explain. He made you one with your spouse. And even after divorce, there's still a spiritual bond there. This is what it tells me. God is with us in our marriages. We've got to take it far more seriously. He says even if divorce happens, there's still a measure of that spiritual bond present that never goes away. So take it seriously. God's with you in that marriage. That, that means you're, you're not alone and you're not without the strength to be able to obey what he's called you to do within your marriage. And, and then I think the goal is interesting. It's to, to seek a godly seed from God. I think instantly we go to kids. So I'm going to have a lot of children. And then that's part of it's there. But marriage is about way more than just companionship. And marriage is about way more than just kids. Like I said before, marriage is a picture to the watching world of the faithfulness of God. One of the desires that God has through your marriage is that a watching world would look at you and be like, Whoa! Something's different. What is it? Well, God is faithful. So he's using your marriage to paint a picture to the world around you. And that's, that's, there's no rest of that. He's using your marriage to paint a picture to the world watching. So what picture is your marriage painting? 
Watch yourself carefully. Again, own your own sin. Own your own selfishness. Double down on loving. Triple down on cherishing your spouse. Listen to each other. Listen to each other. If your spouse says to you today on the way home, I think we need to talk to somebody. Do not blow that off. Do not be like, yeah, nah, I think we're okay. Just wait a couple of days. It'll get out of your system. Having to talk to somebody doesn't mean you have failed. Having to talk to somebody says you want to be better at what you're doing. Don't you want to be better at marriage? And then this last one happened just before the service last time. And so with fear and trepidation, I launched this out to you. Not just repent, not just listen, but ask. Ask. Okay. If you have questions specifically related to your own marriage, I want to enter into that with you. One of the problems with the priests in Malachi's day were guilty of not getting dirty with their people. So the priest would be like, ah, this, let them figure it out. It's okay. No, 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 that's not going to fly here. So we want, we want to walk with you. I have no idea what this looks like. Not even a little. I don't have a date. I don't have a time. I don't have a place. I don't have a format. I got nothing other than this. I believe that my last read-through before I walked out here this morning, that the Holy Spirit led it on my heart to tell you, if you have questions, ask. So I'm going to give you a simplified version of my email address. You ready? So if you want to ask me any question, here it is. You ready? Really simple. Frank at utown.org. It'll get to me. If you want to ask a confidential question, um, what I will tell you to do instead of emailing me, because that's what I'm saying, Frank, I want to ask a confidential question. Okay, text this number. I'll never know it was you. I mean, they can't do that. Uh, so, so email the, the office at utown.org, and they will let me know, and I, I'm going to come up with a number or something, a, a, a Google text number or something to give to you, okay? So you can ask it anonymously. Like, I don't know how I'm going to even answer these things. It might be a one-time thing. It could be an online thing. I doubt it, because I hate online things now. Thank you, 2020. It could be um, it, it could be a, a couple of weeks. It could be just, I don't, I don't know. I just know this. Every single one of us, and my hand is raised higher than any of yours, need to be careful. And to double down into our marriage and say, I'm in. Because God is my witness in this covenant I made with this woman or with this man. I, I'm here and I'm not going anywhere but I need help. And I know some of you are sitting here this morning like, okay, thanks, thanks, Frank. Now I feel like a complete failure. And some of you are dealing with that guilt. And, and hear this, and hear this with love, okay? Some of you should feel that way. That's a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's called conviction. And what he is doing is he's taking the holy, bittersweet finger of God and placing it on that soul of yours and saying, right there, man, right there. You need to deal with that. You need, you need to deal with that. So be encouraged, though. Be encouraged. Divorce is not the unforgivable sin. There, there is grace. You're not defined by your past failures. You are defined by the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ. So, so no matter how many times you have fallen short, no matter how many times you have screwed up, and if, if there's divorce in your past, let me tell you this. Jesus is always faithful. In his eternal love, he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for sin and he cleansed us from all unrighteousness. So if you have repented of your sin, if you have sought the forgiveness of God through the cross of Jesus Christ, then praise God, I get to tell you that the Bible tells us there is no condemnation for you in Jesus Christ. God doesn't condemn you and we don't either.
There's grace. The way I want to close is a little different. So um, our prayer corner is going to be open. I'm going to invite you to that. But I want to invite you, husbands and wives who are here, to pray with one another. And, and let me say this. It might be good if you all prayed with one another, you know, your husbands and wives, because if only one couple does, they're like, oh, they got problems, just saying. Nah, not going to fly. Not going to fly. Pray with each other. Begin a conversation that continues past the parking lot. So why don't, why don't I pray? And then I'm going to give you some time to pray as a couple, and then we'll close our time together. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for the goodness of it. Thank you for the truth we find in your word. Lord, I, I pray you would do your healing work in the relationships within this room. I pray. I pray that we would step up and serve the way we should be serving. I pray that you would protect our singles as they um, live their lives. I pray they would celebrate the opportunities you give them, but I also pray that you would protect them from, from selling themselves short. I pray for our marriages, that you would do your work in them. I pray for husbands and wives, Father, that they would seek your face, that they would be humble, that they would repent. And I pray, Father, as they come into your presence, that they would experience the newness, the restoration of joy, even in that relationship. I pray that you would, in fact, give us the clean hands that we need and purify us. We thank you for the work of Christ. In his matchless name I pray, amen. Husbands, why don't you spend some time praying together?